Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? There was just a minute or two after Man City conceded their fourth goal yesterday, the thought crossed my mind, this could be the start of a spectacular Premier League collapse. They just looked so rattled, so out of sorts. I thought maybe they were suffering the kind of defeat that can crack a team's belief, no matter how good they are. By the end, they had got their way back to within a whisker of a four-all draw, so I'll probably have to temper my expectations of an actual title race. But who cares about a title race? Let's just enjoy yesterday for the... Madness that it was. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Ken. Hi, Kieran. Hello, Hello. How are you guys doing? What was what impressed you most about Liverpool's performance yesterday? <sighs> that's all the people. That's certainly the Liverpool fans just want us to wax lyrical about their amazing football club for the next hour or so. Well, there was a lot of things. Uh, I mean, the second half was amazing. There was just there was, there was it was kind of so end to end. There were so many moments. <laughs> There's four guys tearing away with the ball here. What I suppose. It kind of struck you is the energy, you know, the the uh, incredible energy they had to put into the game at this point of the season. Now, I know they've actually had a lot of time to rest since their last game and also a holiday. They went to, like, Dubai on holidays, uh, Liverpool, um, whereas Manchester City were playing a bit more recently. Um, but here, I suppose, is the reason why... Jurgen Klopp has been rotating the squad at a speed not seen since Alex Ferguson uh, 2001-2002, which was the season that he had Laurent Blanc and Juan Varane Varane and was trying to figure out what do I do with these guys. Um, The Liverpool have made more changes than any team since that uh, team in in terms of game-to-game. And the reason is that uh, unlike last season when they kind of crashed out at this at exactly this point of the season you know they they uh they ran out of energy clearly all of them uh, all at the same time uh he's saying that's not going to happen we don't know what will happen this season i'm sure it'll all go pear shaped at some point but it won't be for the same reason um you know fatigue is never going to be an excuse so everybody was kind of rested and everybody was able to put an incredible amount of energy into that game. 
Andy Roberts in particular, Ken. That's a guy. You don't need to rest <laughs> that young man. He he can just play 90 minutes every game. Did you see the clip that was going around a lot last night? Well, you might have noticed at the time. Well, he ran, he ran from left back to right wing. Yeah. Chasing a succession of Manchester City A number City of Man City players. He decided it could be frustrating when you have two or three players trying to press Manchester City. And they're knocking it around you and you're having to... He decided, ah, jeez, I'll just do it by myself. Mm. And eventually Did he just knocked one of them down. Was it yeah. Otamendi or Danilo? Just knocked them down. Yeah. It's, you know, sometimes players might even just feel a little embarrassed at that. You know, the, that at some stage, you know, a, a more seasoned professional might be like, no, ah, I'm not like, going to make I look like, like a that. bit of an yeah. idiot here. But he was uh, refreshingly free of any such restraints on his uh, emotions and just, just went for it. Mm. I mean, my primary takeaway from the game was really that here was a game that actually lived up to expectations. Mm. And it's not very often that that really happens. Particularly... You know, like there. To be fair, there have been quite a few good games between the top clubs, um, but you know, sometimes they've been unintentionally hilarious, uh, and other times they've been stiflingly boring. But here was a game between the two best attacking teams uh, in the Premier League, and it was just brilliant. I think sometimes every game is hyped between two big teams, and oftentimes, if if you're only half engaged in the build up you get swept along with that and think, of course this Manchester United against Liverpool game is going to be brilliant. When actually, if you think about it tactically, it probably won't. Yeah. Whereas yesterday was one of those ones that it had all the hallmarks of a game that could be absolutely amazing. Uh, the hype, I, I got the sense before and this this hype is actually fair enough. Yeah. And it was justified. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, I think it's important to notice as well, there wasn't, uh, that that was achieved despite the absence of any rancor between the two teams. You know, there, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to get them. I mean... The, they straight up don't like each other. C- yeah, City had, remember, destroyed Liverpool 5-0 in the previous match um, between the two teams, which, I mean, Klopp had referred to a couple of times, you know, saying, I, I felt we, we actually could have won that game. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that was actually a close game, in his opinion, despite the 5-0 emphatic result. But it appeared as though the players and managers particularly had no need to insult and demean and belittle each other before the game in order for the game to be a good game. Football isn't a bad sport when it's played really well and can actually stand on its own, is what you're saying. There, yeah, that, I mean, it, it's it's difficult sometimes to remember that, but that is what happened. And it was, uh, I thought, uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the extraordinary speed the game is played at, this is kind of like... This is, if you were to argue that the Premier League was the best league in the world, which few people do anymore, you would point to a game like this and say, this is, you don't see a game like this in a lot of other leagues. You know, you might see, you might see it in, you know, Dortmund, Bayern, you might see a game of, uh, played at this kind of speed, but I can't think of, you know, I can't think of anywhere anywhere else where you would see that type of, I mean, if fast football is your thing. <laughs> I mean, and who doesn't like fast football? When the ball is flying into the net unpredictably every, you know, every few minutes. It's not as though either team was playing badly or, you, or you'd look at either team and go, oh, you know, these, these guys are obviously a bunch of clowns. These guys are a bunch of jokers. Two good teams uh, scoring great goals and uh, just, yeah, I mean, what more can you ask for? Now, if you're listening today as a member of the World Service and you have yet to listen to our exclusive interview from last week with the former world number four and Wimbledon semi-finalist Elena Dokic, I would urge you to check that out whenever you get a chance. Thanks very much to all of you who did listen to it and who've been in touch about it. It is not always an easy listen as she detailed the physical and mental abuse she suffered at the hands of her father throughout her career, even at the highest possible level at Wimbledon. 
I even start the book off with the situation at Wimbledon actually when I was 17 years old in 2000 and, and made the semi-finals and, and lost to Lindsay Davenport, um, the eventual winner and world number one. And uh, my father thought that, you know, I was a disgrace and an embarrassment, didn't allow me to come back home. Um, I had no money, no credit card, no way to go and I slept um, at the Wimbledon Players Lounge. Um, and this is a 17 years old and you just made the semi-finals of Wimbledon and that was it you know you're 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 sitting there at, at Wimbledon um, and you've just had this you know great 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 amazing tournament I played the quarterfinals even the year before um, from qualifying so obviously a pattern of doing really well um, and yeah it just um, I felt like the worst person in the world but you know I was made to feel by my father Yelena Dokic there, our European exclusive on a huge week on the World Service last week. There's more to come in the next few days. Not from Yelena, but there's another big event taking place in Second Captain's World Service this week, which I'm not going to promote just yet. This is the Mick McCarthy rule we've explained. When it's recorded, we will then promote, Murph. It's not as simple as that. Not a moment before, exactly. even though you're kind of doing it now on. But nevertheless, I mean, I think this is a slight exception to the Mick McCarthy rule which I'm willing to forgive on this particular occasion. No, you've only really broken it when you name names and explain in a little bit more detail. This is a teaser. This is it's merely a teaser. It's okay. not a promo. Okay. It's not a promo. Okay, there's, a very okay. si- there's a very subtle difference between the two. If you haven't signed up for the World Service yet, now is the time to do it. Secondcaptains.com forward slash join or just go to secondcaptains.com and click on the join page from there. Couldn't be easier. It'll take you a couple of minutes and will cost you five euro a month plus a little bit of VAT depending on where exactly you're listening from in the world. Now, Ken, please report on some sport. Yeah, so you know, Coutinho obviously wasn't there. I mean, this was this was brought up. <laughs> this was brought up uh, afterwards with Klopp, and he said, "Look, it's not like we don't want to not talk about Coutinho. Actually, we like talking about him. He's probably delighted sitting in his new living room in Barcelona. He's probably delighted with that with that win that we've just had. Um, you know, it was important for us to show that we can still play, even though he's no longer here, and." It did. It was a, a, a game that tended to support um, the view of some people who have said, "Well, if you look at it, really, Coutinho was never naturally uh, Jurgen Klopp type player. You know, he's he's not really a guy who covers twelve kilometers in a game." No, you're right. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is a better player than Philip Coutinho. <laughs> I know that that's, that's what you're saying, and I agree with you. That's again. not what I'm saying. That's not that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to use the words here. See if you can concentrate on the words here. There's there's small gradations of meaning here. Okay. It's a bit like you know. I'll concentrate, Ken. Don't worry. Look at these fingertips. The most sensitive. The most. Um, the what? Gee, what's that word? <laughs> I'm, I need a word for something my brain is failing to do. Pre- precise instruments in the, in the in the kingdom of nature. These fingertips, the way that they can manipulate tiny little things and mm. do small little jobs. Um, That's your brain dex- and Matt. dexterity. Dexterity, exactly. The most dexterous, the most nimble. Uh, I'm trying to do that with language here, Karen. Okay. Not to make an argument that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is a better footballer than Felipe Coutinho. Which he said clearly, it. He said it. <laughs> which would clearly be stupid. <laughs> Which would clearly be stupid. Of course. But to say that if if you want to play um, football of this type, and I think it's also important to, to remember, that, okay, this is Klopp's team playing kind of the classic Klopp football, mm. not the not the kind of game they actually have to play in most of the Premier League matches, which is against the team that's sitting back and letting them have the ball. That's, so it's, they've actually had to learn how to, how to do that. Um, 
But this was, no, this is against the team that's going to try and attack you. They are actually going to leave space in behind. I mean, you could see after after just a couple of minutes, I think Firmino just lobbed the ball over the back line. And suddenly there was just this, <laughs> man, it was through, one-on-one. And, you know, you, you could see how easily that Man City defense could be could be bypassed. Purely because they're, they're going to push this far up the field. That you could see, okay, there there is a vulnerability there. Um, but this... Uh, Rather, so so to go back to what I was saying, they were playing this uh, very high pressing, you know, chase them in their own half type of energy football. And if you are playing that way, then Oxford Chamberlain, as a a real power packed little player as he is, is kind of is. I think that kind of game suits him more than it does Coutinho. Mm. Uh, Danny Murphy was on Matches of the Day too last night, and he was asked a question, and it was one of those where. The question was asked, and then I can immediately sense that Mark Chapman has been asked to move it on. So yeah. he's like, he's been asked basically that exact question: Are they better off without Philip Coutinho? And he goes, uh, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and the whole conversation just moves on. It's like I don't know that Daddy would have. I think he would have preferred a little bit more time to expand on why he thinks. Uh, in this particular case, maybe Philip Coutinho was not missed. See, but, uh, he I, was not given the time to. Uh, illustrate his dexterity. I think you, you would miss him more in um, in the other games. I guess the kind of games where you have the ball most of the time, and you know, would Liverpool finish on more points if instead of having to play the bottom ten teams they just twice, play the they just played teams. well Man City <laughs> ten times, hold it away. Um, I don't know. I mean, it would be a lot of people would be tuning in. I mean, the Premier least... League would be a much better league if that's how. it Panned out. Yeah, uh, I mean, in terms of the way that they okay, so this is a, it's it's a, it's a huge game really because City were going to go and do the invincible thing. It looked as though that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, They're invincible now. Well, I suppose it under it underlines just how uh, just what a big achievement it really was when Arsenal did it. Um, but also, you know, okay, how's, how are things going to go from this point for from Man City? I mean, you can say that when you looked at. Guardiola, when he was the Bayern manager, they were always better in the first half of the season than in the second half. That had a bit to do with the fact that they'd usually won the league by like the three-quarter point, and there was a bit of a slackening off. But um, if that's going to happen again this season, you know, as in they've already had the good half, and now let's maybe they're not going to be quite as good in this half of the season. Um, Liverpool have shown the way that you should play against them. You know, there's no reason why. If 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 you sit back and let them control the game and have the ball, they're going to beat you. Yeah. But if you try to, if you try to to get the ball and shoot at their goal and score, it might work out for you. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's the same either way. So you might as well have a cut kind of thing. It's actually mm. this is just a much better. This gives you a better chance of winning than the other way. The chances still aren't that good because they are probably better. They are definitely better than you, but at least. This way, you're trying to hit them where it hurts, you know, because it's not as though when when you look at it, it's not as though you've you've never seen a defensive unit as good as this Man City team. That's clearly not the case. I mean, a good goalkeeper, good individual players, but you know, it's not as though oh, who could who could score against these guys? It's not like that. But you have to try. It's no use if you're going to sit back in your own half. It's never going to happen. Were you disappointed with Man City though? Um, they they know what's coming from Liverpool. They surely have to adjust their game plan slightly to account for 
but what's just, coming at them. Uh, just how? How do you mean? Well, don't get caught uh, four on one breaks the entire time when you're only one goal down. Mm. Um, like the, the second, like at least two of the second half goals were fairly avoidable yeah. if, if they hadn't been so open. But that's what they, that's just the way that they play. I mean, they're betting on their own ability to, con- to keep the ball and control the game, that they won't get caught by those breaks because try as the other team might, they're not going to be able to press them into a mistake. You're going to be able to pass the ball, uh, keep the ball, and eventually the other team will get, get tired and demoralized and they won't be able to keep it up. Um, you know, if in terms of adjusting their game to the fact that Liverpool were trying to get it off them in their own half, why, why would they do that? Their whole game is about playing the ball out on the ground from the back. It, a team that wants to try and play them at that game should, in theory, suit them. You know, it's like, okay, well, here you are. You're you're trying to play against us, but we're going to pass around you and outplay. You know, it's it's uh, they rarely get a chance to play a game like this actually you know it's 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 usually the other type of game that they're that they're playing so you would have to, they actually seem to enjoy it i mean they lost but you saw you saw De Bruyne saying props to liverpool for a great game so yeah that was that was, a, that yeah, was a yeah there was no one. fallout no nasty fallout as there usually is when any of the big teams lose a match uh, no uh, no just uh, just mutual appreciation all around must be sickening <laughs> Look at these guys congratulating each other, patting each other on the back. But you know, it was a it was a fantastic game. Uh, so we'll talk a bit more about that with Dion Fanning um, uh, when he comes into studio to talk to us. But in the meantime, it's welcome, Paul Lambert, Scotsman confirmed as new manager. Stoke City announces announce uh, Stoke City Scotsman confirmed as new manager. Writes their website. The 48-year-old has signed a two-and-a-half-year contract and will officially take charge of the Bet365 Stadium on Tuesday, after they play Man United, which is tonight, when he will also meet the media. Um, when the club made a managerial change nine days ago, we stated we were looking to make an appointment as soon as possible, particularly given our position in the league and the overriding priority being retaining our place in Premier League. The club reviewed a number of people against the criteria set and met with a small number of parties who had expressed an interest in the job. Peter Coates said... Paul greatly impressed us with his knowledge of our that's the chairman. Paul greatly impressed us with his knowledge of our squad and had a clear plan of how he would improve our results. He's managed back to himself as a player, none more so than when he turned down contract offers in Scotland to go on trial in the German Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund. Paul has been successful in management of clubs with a strong and stable background. I can't believe he used that phrase. This is John Coates, son of Peter. Paul has been successful in management of clubs with a strong and stable background. And with local ownership, the kind of foundation we're able to give to our managers, we're determined to appoint someone with Premier League experience and extensive knowledge of English football. So, as we know, this means that uh, Martin O'Neill will not be taking over at Stoke, as we were talking about last week. Looks unlikely at this stage, isn't it? Unless he wants to be part of a backroom team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with, Don't with know if that would suit Martin. This former player, Paul yeah. Lambert. Yeah, um, yeah. We, I mean, this this was reported last night that he was um, the Daily Telegraph. I think had broken the story that he was not. He, he had turned Stoke down. I know. I know Stoke isn't what people are interested in here necessarily. But if I was a Stoke City fan, I don't know how enthused I'd be about Paul Lambert. Never struck me as a hugely charismatic presence. What are you talking about? He's bringing sexy back to Stoke. 
on, and you know yes. it. He did do a makeover after after he was sacked by Villa, and he he like stopped wearing the glasses. I don't know if he if he had laser surgery or started wearing contacts, uh, and and seemed to hit the gym a little, slim down, and you know there's nothing wrong with that. I mean managers do it all the time. Uh, Rogers famously, you know, notice he was on television a lot. Yeah. Uh, looking more of boring post-match interviews because he's hardly alone in that in football managers and maybe you're saying Ken you think I'm so shallow that I'm going to be wowed by this sexy looking you Paul Lambert you think it's just about looks with me and football the managers the swan winner Paul Lambert we'll see we'll see I'm going to follow his post-match interviews closely and see how enthralled I am to the new Lambert uh, but anyway Martin O'Neill is not going to manage Stoke so he no, he said, uh, he, he turned them down. Stoke seemed to suggest that he had expressed interest in the job. I mean, they was he one of the small number of interested parties that they met? Um, yeah, um, they uh, they insist. St- they're also saying that Lambert wasn't our third choice. Don't be silly. So maybe Lambert was their second choice because Kike Sanchez Flores certainly seemed to be their first choice. At least, at least, if he was their second choice, it was a bit awkward the way they uh, they approached him first and the whole thing played out first with their second choice before they moved on to their first choice. Paul Lambert, that was a bit weird. Uh, and it, and if they were the first and second choice, that would mean Martin O'Neill was was the third choice, which isn't acceptable. Clearly, I mean, even being the second choice was that really acceptable? You know, for a football man of that of that standing. Well, I think once you accept that you weren't the first choice, it kind of doesn't matter after that. Then, you know, the difference between second and third, third and fourth, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, I mean, okay. So I, I mean, I think you're either first there's choice not, or you're in the. Not, depends how badly you want the job. It shouldn't matter. At, none of it should matter at all if you really want the job. Mm. Just swallow your pride and take it if, yeah. you, if you get the offer. Swallow but, your pride. Yeah. A great big prickly ball of pride. Hmm. Not sure about that. Um, so anyway, Martin O'Neill is not not going to be. Uh, I mean, he he could have. He he's, there was there was suggestion in the Daily Telegraph article by Luke Edwards that the verbal agreement uh, that he'd made with the FAI to continue as manager was essentially that uh, that he didn't want to break that. And you just sometimes you have you, you do wonder what kind of four D chess um, Martin O'Neill is playing uh, when if you know if if the verbal agreement was always going to be. The deal breaker, I've, you know, unfortunately, this, this pre-existing verbal agreement, you know, and as a matter of my word, if that's always going to be the deal breaker, why couldn't he have mentioned that to some of the journalists at the Soccer Writers Association of Ireland dinner on Friday night when he was there? He didn't say anything to them. He could have easily mentioned it at that point, but I guess we're we're talking. He's playing this game at a higher level than any of us can can understand. Um, so so there was nothing mentioned, uh, and it was left. To, for it to come out on, on Sunday night that he turned down Stoke when the expectation I think from a lot of people had been oh you know it seems as though Kike Sanchez Flores is is not going to take over at Stoke which leaves Martin O'Neill um, of course that didn't happen but now there's lots of there's lots of supporters out there and, and I would say even some journalists who are left with the impression that if things had gone slightly differently with Stoke Martin O'Neill would have taken that job uh, and you know that's that's just the impression I think that's left by what's happened here um, maybe it could have been different if O'Neill had got out in front of it at the, at the beginning and said oh, look I'm not I'm not interested I have a verbal agreement and I'm excited about building a new Ireland team based around a young generation of players that's coming through we all know why he didn't talk to those soccer writers though, don't we well what? he was his mind was on the prize game didn't he and Roy Keane and that table walk away with the table quiz 
victory? Oh, uh, so I read. Anyway, I, yeah. I read that he that he won a quiz. All right. Yeah, I, yeah there's a table quiz element to it, and Martin O'Neill's team walked away with the big prize. So he was just staying focused on what the night was really all about: winning the table quiz. I didn't realize it was a table quiz. Yep. I haven't been to Fuck the... The football writers didn't like that, did they? That really is an award <laughs> ceremony with a difference. I've never been Saoirse, to... The... Saoirse Ronan won the Golden Globes uh, table quiz as well. I don't know if you heard that. It was a really successful night all round for her. Yeah. Picked up best, best actors, but also won the table the quiz. The table quiz. Greta Gerwig is an absolute demon for the table quiz. <laughs> Listen, uh, um, there's something else that we have to talk about here. Okay. I don't know if you saw Lionel Messi's goal for Barcelona against Real Sociedad. It's a free kick. It was a free kick from 25 yards or so, which was which took such a weird trajectory. Very loopy. That I thought it must have been deflected off the wall. When the first time I saw it, it was weird because it was a long way out, but the goalkeeper didn't move. It, it, it went into the other side of the goal from where I was expecting it to go. And I thought, okay, he's hit this free kick and it's hit one of the defenders in the head and nicked off him, and has flown into the opposite corner. That's why the goalkeeper didn't move. Watching it again, I realized I'd actually never seen a free kick like this before. Such a weird trajectory. On the, did you see it? It was like straight up and straight down. It was it was an unbelievable goal. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And this was to make it 4-2 uh, to Barcelona, who had been 2-0 down against Real Sociedad. They, Real Sociedad. they hadn't actually won there in like 10 years. Uh, so they, so it was a big win for them. Um, they are obviously running away with the league because Real Madrid lost again. We'll talk to Sidlo about uh, what's happening to them. But um, I suppose it underlined just what a good player Lionel Messi is. It was his, it was his 366th goal in La Liga, uh, which is which means it's the most uh, that any player has scored in any of the major leagues. He beat uh, Gerd Miller's record. Miller had 365 goals in the Bundesliga. Um, so, you know, he continues to captivate. Uh, however, what about those losers and haters at Spiegel magazine and their constant muckraking over his, um, frankly, staggering financial affairs? Um, it's very, uh, what's the word, schmutzig, I think we'd say. Uh, the the, the muckrakers at Spiegel have, have been in cahoots for a while with... Uh, the mysterious folks who run Football Leaks, uh, the website that aims to leak stuff about football in order to, I guess, draw attention to uh, to some of the goings-on uh, and perhaps to strategically embarrass some of the people who are leaked about. Who knows, Owen? Who knows exactly why these leaks are coming out or how this information is being obtained? All we know is that the leaks are coming out. So, what's happened with... Uh, Messi. Well, a few a few different things. There's one awkward story about his his uh, charity foundation, the Lionel Messi Foundation. What exactly is this thing all about? Is it as it purports to be a charity which aims to raise funds for vulnerable children worldwide, or is it simply a way for Barcelona to siphon more cash to their number one star? Uh, certainly, that was the view taken by the Spanish tax authorities. <laughs> who, who demanded to know who it, it turns out uh, demanded to um, see all of the income that had gone to this foundation where is it all coming from uh, and where did it all go because this is our suspicion that you're using it just as a way to get extra salary or it's a way that Barcelona can pay you extra salary Messi it turns out had to pay 12 million euros in a settlement to avoid any further 
uh, inquiry from the from the tax authorities. Twelve million euros. Twelve million and a euros. Just around this particular, around the foundation. Well, the tax agents demanded all club documents relating to payments made to the foundation in the years 2010 to 13. And that's just 2010 to 13. The years 2013 to 16, apparently 70% of the donations made to the charity were from Barcelona. In 2016, apparently they were the only named donors to the Leo Messi Foundation, Barcelona. Which is how people suddenly start getting the idea. Hang on, is this just... If you're serious about this foundation, you've got to get out there and hustle, Leo. There are other corporations in the world that might attach themselves to this brand if you really wanted to go searching. The officials demanded precise information regarding why exactly the club had made the payments, suspecting they were not, in fact, donations, but hidden salary payments to Messi himself. So Barcelona are like, oh, God, no, not another tax investigation. Out of loyalty, as an internal email notes, the club's chief legal representative notified the Messies of the questions to which the authorities had requested answers. Jorge Messi, Messi's dad, responded comfortably, don't worry, we have become quite knowledgeable on these issues. So they get a lawyer to look at, all, look at the situation and advise, recommend a course of action. His draft report made it clear that the club's position uh, was far from advantageous, as was Messi's. The lawyer believed there was a high probability the tax authorities would see the millions of euros Barca transferred to Messi's foundation as salary payments, and thus is an offence. Um, so he basically gave Messi a list of options. One of them says, the player clears up his tax situation in its entirety before the tax authorities approach him. So Messi would likely face a penalty along with his back payment, but a settlement would forestall legal proceedings for tax evasion. This scenario, the lawyer wrote, is the safest one for Messi also against the backdrop of the tax evasion trial he's currently facing. Remember, the, he was found guilty in that trial. So he paid the $12 million, but as Spiegel is saying, he already knew at the time that the club would take care of the penalty. So basically, Barcelona invented an extra bonus to give him, oh, here's €12 million. Euros. Um, wasn't it so everyone at Barcelona was delighted about this? Hang on, why are we paying, like, why are we paying, like, back taxes for Lionel Messi and... Tax, uh, and penalties relating to back taxes. We shouldn't be on the hook for that. Um, Sabina Paquer, the club's compliance officer, well, raised her hand and, and made this point. Are we really sure that this is all totally kosher? Um, <laughs> it is safe to say, writes Spiegel, that the rest of FC Barcelona's executive team viewed Sabina Paquer as a pain in the neck. That at least seems to have been the message of the tone used by team directors for discussing her queries among themselves. Ultimately, one of them asked the CFO, please explain to Sabina, the club isn't a listed company, and this loan can help convince Leo to extend his contract. And if we don't do it, the whole thing could become more complicated or impossible. Uh, the CFO explains in an email, we have to keep in mind that this matter has to do with the club's most important asset. Uh, so basically, shut your mouth. They paid, uh, they paid up. But what's also uh, come out is the detail of the new contract that Messi signed. Apparently, it was agreed on the day of his wedding, which was in summer 2017. Um, there was an email uh, uh, from Barca's chief legal representative to the CEO, Oscar Grau, consists of a single word written in the subject line, Alleluia, with the final A repeated 69 times. <laughs> Thank you for all your de dedication and effort. The extension of Leo Messi was important for the survival of FC Barcelona. For the survival? For the survival of FC Barcelona. This is what he writes. So, congratulations to everyone. Leo remains where we all want him to be, says Bartomeu, the um, president of, of Barcelona, writes to Messi's dad. So, you, you kind of get to see the desperation these guys had that Messi would, would sign up. And when you've got a bunch of desperate guys on one side God, of the negotiation... if Messi were to find out about this desperation... <laughs> 
how do you think how do you think this negotiation went down? Well, thankfully Spiegel has all the papers, so we get to see exactly how much Lionel Messi earns in direct salary from Barcelona. Now, I asked you this, I can't do it again on air because I've already asked you both earlier on what you thought it was per season. And can you remember what your guess was? Well, shamefully short of the final tally. I can't remember the exact figure. You get something like 20 million in... in yeah. Inside, which which clearly was nowhere near the, the correct... Of course, I was an idiot to even think such a thing. Well, Spiegel... Right, the amount of money the three contracts oblige FC Barcelona to pay. The three contracts are one is a direct contract with Messi, the second is a contract with Leo Messi Management SL, which is an image rights contract, and the third is a contract with the Leo Messi Foundation, which I guess covers charitable donations. And uh, speaking right, if one assumes Messi will fulfill the contract and remain a key player for Barca for the next four years, key player meaning will play 60% of the games, which I think he probably will as long as he can Injury permitting, of course. And if one-time payments like the signing bonus and loyalty bonus are broken out over the duration of the contracts, then the player is guaranteed to receive €106,347,115 per season. If Barca achieves a treble, winning the Champions League, Spanish League and Spanish Cup all in a single season, and FIFA wins FIFA Player of the Year that same year, he stands to earn an annual salary of €122,515,205. The club is making it possible for him to earn almost half a billion euros in four years, despite the fact that he's already seen his 30th birthday come and go and finds himself in the home stretch of his career. Wow. That is amazing. That's a lot of money there, Ken. 106 million euros. But as they point out, Messi's father knew that he could ask for pretty much whatever he wanted for his wunderkind. The global football market has become so overheated in recent years that it would not be difficult to find a Chinese, Russian, Arab, or American investor willing to meet the Messi family's demands. So there you go. And it then explains that one of the ways in which they managed to get such a huge final figure was by uh, meeting with um, some people representing Real Madrid, talking about a transfer. So they they had a meeting, apparently, in a private jet, in the jet, flying around at altitude. Um, Real Madrid uh, so the, the plan according to Juarez called for chartering two private planes the first was for Messi the Messi's their lawyer uh, Real President Fiorentino Perez the team sports director and a team lawyer the plan called for negotiations to take place in the air with the planes then landing at a predetermined location sounds pretty awesome so they're going to play they're going to pay did one private jet land on the other private jet <laughs> like uh, on the Air Force 1 <laughs> they're going to pay Jorge Messi Messi 16 million euros just for facilitating the deal um and then they also said uh this is this is what was uh this was what was was communicated to the Messi camp it had to do with the tax evasion investigation into Lionel Messi by public prosecutors in Barcelona they tell me they would exert pressure on Rajoy to reach a solution for your son that is ad- as advantageous as possible. Mariano Rajoy being the Prime Minister of Spain, that these representatives of Real Madrid were supposedly going to have a word with Mariano Rajoy to get him to go easy on Messi <laughs> over the tax situation. I don't consider that to be particularly credible, um, uh, said the guy who was communicating this to uh, he, he was acting for the Messi, saying he said basically, "I'm not sure they can actually do this." You know, they're they're claiming they'll do this, but I'm not sure they I'm not sure it's within their power to actually do it. But there was um, there there was certainly uh, the communication with Real Madrid over a possible move. Madrid were talking about paying the buyout fee, as it then was, 
and signing Messi, uh, which was one of the reasons why Messi now gets paid so much money. And I, and I happened to see um, Owen a story today uh, in the, uh, one of the other Spanish newspapers, Us, that Cristiano Ronaldo has become so demoralized at Real Madrid that he has, he's told him he wants to leave. I can't take it anymore. Um, how much exactly is Ronaldo getting paid, though? Uh, is that in there? Yeah, according to us. Mm, he's getting paid a lot less than the Messi. Like 38 million. Messi's sure. no, supposed to do What's he supposed to do? Like 38 million. Hey, Leo, pay your tax, by the way. <laughs> I'm you know, just, just don't bother with the foundation. Don't bother with creative accounting. Just, just pay your tax. Yeah. You'll be left with a decent sum. I think he's going to be fine. I really think he's going to be fine, on. Yeah. There you go. That's it for today's report on sport. He agrees with plenty, just it's always who's saying it, it's never what's actually said. 90% of anything is who's saying this, and 10% is what are they actually saying. So, the 90% in Giles' case is, oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this you know, opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean the football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, what can you, what can you do? You can please everyone. Joe's Dion Fanning is here to help us usher in the next phase of the Martin O'Neill era. Hi, Dion. Hey, Owen, how's it going? You look pretty excited about it. I am, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking me in. What do you make of... Well, what's interesting is we're sitting here on the Monday. When did the news first break? About a week ago. Like Thursday. We, Last Thursday. Oh, was it that? Was that late? It felt like we had a full week of, uh, of all this kind of talk. Anyway, quite a few days at this stage. An awards due at which... Uh, a soccer writer's awards due at which... Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane were present. And yet still no official word from either of them, from the FAI. Uh, aside from anything else, it seems like a pretty spectacular f- failure of communication. Yeah, except I think when, when something is said, it'll all be said along the lines of, well, nothing happened. So why would we tell you when nothing is happening? Uh, the, the, the suggestion coming from Martin O'Neill is that he didn't want to break his, his verbal agreement. You told us when nothing was happening when you said that you'd signed a contract when you hadn't. Yeah. Agreed a contract, I suppose. But usually the implication of that is the contract is there. You know, we've had, we now have a contract, which they don't. They, they still didn't. And, and, you know, for, for months later, which is how the situation arose. I think there was always a, a sense, I, talking to people in, like after the Denmark game, there was always a sense that I remember somebody saying to me, it's gone, quiet, it's gone very quiet. And this idea that O'Neill had reacted so badly to the criticism after Denmark. Um, uh, had kind of changed everything, and that you know this contract, which was there, if if he would sign it, um, getting him to be there to sign it was was maybe now more problematic. Uh, and I think we know, like, kind of have to be careful with Martin O'Neill because he is a, a robust defender of his reputation. Mm. When you uh, suggest that he he might have um, 
you know, not being going to honour contracts and stuff like that. So, you know, if he says he, he was always going to honour his contract, that's, that's, you know, that's good enough for me. But um, at the same time, the, the way it's played out, the fact that he changed, that he was linked with the Stoke job, uh, he was not going to go to that Soccer Writers Awards. He then decided on Friday morning that he was going to it. Every suggestion was that there was, there was contact with, with Stoke, uh, it hasn't. It doesn't look good. It, it also it a manager could overcome this if there was to begin with a base level, a base of goodwill and sort of enthusiasm for for the manager to be in the job, which happened with Martin O'Neill when he was Leicester manager and Leeds United wanted him to take over in '98, I think, and you know the whole Filbert Street was full of people with banners saying "Don't go, Martin, please stay," and they spent the whole game. Uh, at that time, chanting his name. Then when your manager says, I'm not going to go, I'm not interested, I'm staying, there's a kind of widespread rejoicing. There's been, I think, the, you know, the general sense is just widespread, like, who cares? Is Martin O'Neill, yeah, as the result of Ken's poll last week, I think, mm. probably confirmed, but as is there an argument here that Martin O'Neill is dead right to explore his options at, at this point and that actually the FAI should have been doing the same thing and maybe making some discreet inquiries behind the scenes as to if... It came to pass that the contract w- was not going to get signed because obviously we've been in this situation before where, oh, let's sack the manager or let the manager go and then you have nobody to replace <clears> him. <throat> Is it not incumbent on both parties to maybe think about another way before deciding, well, I, OK, we'll stick together? I would, I would be more inclined to think about it now before signing a contract because... I think this is. I think Denmark now is basically where Ireland were a trap after the 2012 Euros. I don't think you kind of recover from that, and I don't think this is going to help. And I think the next year, even though it's the, one of the problems is there's nothing. You know, the Nations League is starting in in September, uh, which I don't really fully understand, and then the qualifiers start next March. So it's going to be a very kind of nothing time, really. But if things go wrong, I don't think there's going to be any goodwill for O'Neill. And the last thing you want is to be in a situation now where you've actually signed a new contract with a manager who you might want to get rid of in a year. So I think... I I don't think the FAI... I don't think... I don't believe that they should be going... gone and gone out looking... There's no urgency in the FAI to get a manager. I And... I understand the thing about getting compensation and that I don't know how much compensation they would have got. Okay, Flores was in, you know, Espanol were going to get four million or something. I don't think that would have been the level. Uh, I felt it was kind of a good deal for the FAI if they lost Martin O'Neill. See, I don't see how the FAI could have been trying to recruit a manager with that agreement, the verbal agreement in place. Because O'Neill did refer to it after the Denmark match, sitting there, you know, an hour after the match. Um, and the contract issue came up and he said, well, you know, I would expect the verbal agreement, you know, that's in place and I would expect it to still be in place. So you can imagine his reaction if he was to discover, and I think he probably would discover quite quickly, if the FAI were sounding out other potential managers. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that, that's not something you do discreetly, you don't think? No. Uh, how, could they do it dis- how could they do it discreetly? <clears throat> they would be much better off. <laughs> deciding who's going to become the manager after Martin O'Neill now, no matter what, and actually identifying a successor at this stage, yeah, rather than saying, "Oh, you know, Martin O'Neill's left. Let's go and let's 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 throw it open to you know you know a million a year, which is you know, which is huge by FAI standards, uh, but it's actually not that much regard when it comes to recruiting any manager who's really going to make 
a huge amount of difference. And going into the kind of into the arena of the sort of beaten dockets of of, of English football, uh, I I think it would be pointless. So I I would it would be preferable, I think, if they would now identify who they want to take over, what they want the manager to do. And this is the problem I have with Martin O'Neill as Ireland manager. He came in as, as a short, he's a short-term manager. His whole, his whole, which is fine, which is great. His whole idea, on his first day in the job, he talked about how there were some good 16-year-old players coming through, but a fat lot of good that is to me because he's a manager for the short term. He wants to win. Mm. Now, those players, if they were there, are now kind of 21 because mm. he's going to be in the job five years. Yeah. Uh, and yet, he's always been a short-term manager. There hasn't been any kind of joined-up thinking between what the FAI are doing with their development plans and all this kind of yeah. stuff and what Martin O'Neill is doing. So is he the right manager to, to join that up, which is needed, which has been needed... We're, we're five years... We're six years from you know, 2012 when it was kind of generally agreed, right, Irish football needs to do something radical to change, you know, so we don't go and you know, just get... Beaten out, beaten out the gate by everybody. O'Neill has restored some. You know, he has brought some. You know, the fact that Ireland beat Germany, beat Italy, had these great nights after 15 years of having nothing like that really is fantastic. But the next stage still hasn't been done, and I think they need they need to identify a manager who could do that. The Luke Edwards report suggests that O'Neill turned down this Stoke City job, mm-hmm. so should he not get a little bit of slack? For that, should that not be part of part, part of our uh, you know forgiveness? If he, he even needs any forgiveness from the Irish football public for flirting with Stoke City, um, what? Yeah, D- forgiveness. I don't know. I mean, why? So for, he's getting for, so he's getting hammered for like we forgive looking, him for not going to Stoke. He, he's getting hammered so for what, what are we for forgiving him for? He's getting hammered for not looking for for looking for another job or for being interviewed for another job if that was the case. He's in, he yeah. hasn't. He hasn't taken the job. Well, yeah, but I'm saying if you take the interpretation at face value that he turned the job down, yeah. uh, is that not okay? Fair but enough. The, but that's fine. This is the. This is yeah. I think that is fine. You know, a manager is in demand, and he decides to stay with Ireland. That would be fine if, if there was an if if, if under underlying that there was a kind of great desire for O'Neill to stay, and I don't think there is. I think that's the problem. Uh, whether it's, I, I think it, I you can overcome the fact that this happened. Mm. Uh, I, this will be overcome within you know with one you can, one one or two press conferences, O'Neill in his sort of narky way will kind of get through this. It's not it won't be a uh, it'll be part of the of the changing of of the souring of things in, to some degree. But I think the bigger factor will be Denmark and the way the campaign unraveled in the second half of it. And that's that's the problem. And that's why when this happened. The, it it hasn't it hasn't helped, but it it's also just underlined the fact that generally people think, you know, we can do you know we don't really care if Martin O'Neill stays or goes. Did you see John Walters on what like match of the day to extra? Is that the show he was on? I didn't see him. He was on with like Chappers. Yeah, it could have just been match of the day too, was it? Uh, no, no. no. Um, he said something on Five Live as well yesterday. I think. Yeah. It? Well, he well basically what he said was. Uh, Oh, you know, he was saying Stoke should absolutely hire Martin O'Neill. He's a great manager. I'm a Stoke fan, and I think he'd be great. And he'd just simplify everything, you know? Like, Mark Hughes has been blinding Stoke with, with science, <laughs> and they just need to go back to basics. Yeah. And, and O'Neill's the man to do that. But he said, you know, we were fourth, fourth uh, favourites in our group to qualify, and no one gave us a chance. 
and I was I was thinking, what? Like, how did they get this idea and nobody gave them a chance? Like, they were in a group with Serbia, Austria, and and Wales. It wasn't like a hard group, you know. I mean, O'Neill kept saying it was a hard group, but it's actually the only group where neither the first nor second seeds are going to go to the World Cup. That's how weak the group was. You know, we missed we missed a lot of the top sides. Yeah, well, it was a group that had four reasons. Some some groups have sort of one or two amazing teams and then a drop off, whereas yeah. this had four teams, really any mediocre th- teams. Yeah, well, Serbia, Serbia were probably better than mediocre. How far do you think they'll go in the World Cup? Um, Would they get? Do you think they'll get to the, to the quarterfinals? Uh, I wouldn't bet. On it. No, I, w- I wouldn't bet on them getting out of the group. To be honest, I actually I, I don't know what group. I can't think of the group I'll, that they're I'll in. I'll check it while you're chatting. Um, but but you know. That was obviously the way that uh, Walters was thinking about the campaign, and maybe it's what O'Neill wanted the players to think. You know, no one gives us a chance. Uh, well, maybe this should suit him. No, we're at, we're at a point now where literally nobody gives them a chance anymore. Nobody believes that this that there's going to be. We we see this chrysalis now that this Irish young Irish team is in, and nobody thinks there's going to be anything coming out of it. It's just a dormant thing, and it will stay that way forever. Doesn't n- nobody believes in the future anymore? So maybe that will actually suit O'Neill in terms of the underdog mentality that he apparently likes to inculcate in the players. Yeah, maybe. Um uh I um I think if you put it if you put it in those terms, it'd be possibly even too bleak to uh to serve as a rallying cry. Uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> everything existence is futile. <laughs> um but uh yeah, possibly it'll work for him. I I do I take your point about the group. I think every group you're in these days, you can look at it and say, actually, this, because you know, most, of this, and this is a problem I have with O'Neill and the way he talks about international football, because, you know, it's framed in terms of we don't have the players, but nobody has, has the players, or most teams don't have the players. Most of the countries Ireland play, play better football than us, but they don't have, you know, they don't have great players. And I think, uh, it being framed in this way that it's a massive step up, and you know the Premier League. We must get players who are playing in the Premier League, and if they they're not playing the Premier League, really they're not much good to us uh, as in international football because it's a step up again. It's a totally different game to the Premier League. It's it's, and I think you need a manager who looks upon it differently and looks upon a kind of a nurturing of, of a sort of a style and 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 other factors in a way that O'Neill hasn't, and it's because he's rooted in in the He's rooted in, in, in English football. He's rooted in English football of about 30 years ago. His reference points are, every, you know, uh, are, are 30 years ago most of the time. And, uh, and that, I think that's a problem. I think it's, it's going to be a greater problem as he tries to... Um, to regenerate to the whole regenerate thing. Regenerate with, 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 with players who are you know, 45 years younger than him. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the next step. And uh, I don't think he's the right manager to do that. I, I'm kind of... I, 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 I'm not that bothered whether he's whether he stays or whether or whether he, he or if he'd gone, but I think he's not the right manager to do what Ireland need to do. The Serbia group is Brazil, Switzerland, and Costa Rica, so they, they might go out. They <laughs> might. I mean, you know, it depends if they can beat Switzerland. Yeah. So it could happen. We'd look to Serbia. It would make our achievement. Look the, the further they go, the better we look. And Martin O'Neill will bring that up. Yeah. Jurgen Klopp says that football fans after yesterday's match between Liverpool and Man City will be thinking, "What the fuck was that, Dion? Is that what you were thinking?" Yeah, the match. Yeah, <laughs> really, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it was extraordinary. Um, I think, like the way Liverpool, you know, there's a lot of stuff about how you, you know, how Liverpool played and how they beat Manchester City, but it was, it is the way Liverpool play. 
It is the approach that uh, makes them so thri- thrilling. And the f- I, like the, yesterday, it was kind of when it was four one. I did find myself thinking they can't actually mess this one up. There's something about this too one. far ahead. Too City far are ahead, on fire, yeah, and, and they're and they've sort of the way they've you know three goals in nine minutes. They've sort of broken them. Mm. Nobody can come back from this. And then, of course, you know, <laughs> the, the city nearly come back from it. Uh, but it's kind of, I'm sort of developing this reluctance that anything, anything should change in the, in the kind of Liverpool dynamic. Like, if you alter this somehow, would, some, would, you, would you lose something? It's a bit like when they talk about a player, you know, like that, you know, that red mist, it's part of yeah, his, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, like maybe like Mignolet stroke Carius is important to like the attacking verve of Liverpool <laughs> as Mo Salah, you know, because if you don't have a keeper that you know is going to let you know three in, then maybe you the urgency is not the there. The urgency isn't there. It's it's interesting, isn't it? How good these games are, and and all the games between Liverpool and Man City for the last few years have been really good. Yeah, it's like this is the classic fixture in the Premier League now. This is it. Like you know, you go through phases. I mean, there was a while when you know Man United against Blackburn, Man United against Newcastle, Man United against Arsenal for Arsenal. That was kind of the, the, the really the all-time one. And there hasn't really been one of those um, matches for a while, but Liverpool against Manchester City seems to be the best. This is where you get... Uh, the interesting thing about it is that completely unlike the Man United-Liverpool game, where, where it's... I mean, when was the last good game between them? Mm. No, they're awful. They're always terrible, but they're always played in a bad spirit. You know, there's a, there's a kind of a sense of... You know this Spanish idea, Morbo, this like... Uh, you know, the, the sort of hatred on either side. And um, where, whereas you're struck by the Liverpool City game, the sportsman, sportsman like, uh, I think there was like six fouls in the first half. There was a bit more, there was a few more fouls in the later stages as the two teams grew increasingly desperate. But you had both the managers complimenting each other afterwards. You had Kevin De Bruyne writing props to Liverpool for a great game. You know, like this, a kind of a positive atmosphere around the game, which I think must contribute to players trying trying stuff in the game. You know, it was more, it was a kind of a, you know, like it was a, who was it last night on Match of the Day, talking about players expressing themselves. That's what was happening, like all over the field, which is what you kind of want. And it, it never happens in that other, the Liverpool Man United game. You know, the Mourinho came with a really negative tactics and so on. We don't really want to see any any events happening in this game. Whereas the one last night was just... I mean, essentially, that, that, that a good spirit, that a positive spirit around the game apparently can contribute to the game itself being better on the field. Yeah, I, I, it would have been interesting if Liverpool had played United at a point when Liverpool weren't in a bit of a dive themselves because was, uh, that lacked a little... Uh, I think that sort of tempered their, their own sense of adventure... In that one, which which, which was which was there, uh, which was there yesterday. Um, but I agree. I think like, but I also like factors came into it. Liverpool scoring first, things like that made it made it made it a good game because you know you need Liverpool to score first in those matches for them to be able to play in that in that way that that works so well and under Klopp. But I, also just the. Uh, like the the progression of player like Oxley Chamberlain's performance yesterday, and it is it is interesting when you 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 know, reading interviews with him last week, and he's talking about the sort of ways had to sort of readjust his his game under Klopp, um, and you know, and he was kind of saying there's no right way and wrong way, although I think he was saying there's a right way and a wrong yeah. way, um, and uh, and that that you know, Firmino is a, is, a, is the classic example. You look at the the 
way like this is his best year for ever in his career for for goals. You look at the player that arrived at Liverpool, and he looked kind of lost. And now I, I I think he's you know he's the most he's probably the most important player for everything he does, well, particularly with Coutinho, even more so than Salah. I think so, I think because everything you know, because defensively and offensively, he does so much. He he wins balls back, even the goal, even the way he scored the goal, you know, just to 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 charge into stones and to, then to charge into stones and then have the composure was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. To, 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 to the fire and ice in one split second, yeah. pretty much. It's, it's, it de- it's amazing to see someone do that. It definitely. You think you're going to lose the head? You know, oh, I'm just barge at the centre half out of the way. Oh, I better blast it. Well, when you corner. see it, it, definitely was not an option that had occurred to me as I watched no, it. He's <laughs> no, not he, can, float he can ship it. him here. Yeah. That did not. You know, whereas with Salah, you know, Salah's goal, you're like, oh, okay, he can clearly. Yeah, he actually probably should score from here. You know, if he could just chip it over. If he can get that right, but but it never for a second second out of my head that Firmino could ship I mean there was not a lot of distance between him and the goal Ederson is almost right in front of him it's like a know? Raul goal remember Raul used to score a lot of those little chips from very near the goalkeeper where you're, you're thinking he's not how, how, there's no room to loft it up and spin it back down well I thought it was very like the goal do you remember Robbie Fowler's goal against Manchester United a few years ago I was surprised Gary Neville didn't refer to it mm. in, in commentary yeah 1995 it was a game when Cantona uh, returned to you know there was a two all draw but Fowler scored a goal where he Ran onto a through ball, like elbowed Gary Neville out of the way, and then chipped the goalkeeper. You're surprised Gary Neville didn't talk about this? <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed <laughs> that he didn't point out that's clearly a foul on Stones. I remember this happening to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, but uh, yeah, it was. I would, I would kind of agree that he is Firmino. That is, um, has kind of become the most important player. What is Klopp doing against Manchester City? He's got a winning record against them. Is you, you were talking about the Jabby interview last mm. week, Ken? Is uh, and he outlined how you should play against Barcelona, which by, by Barcelona he basically meant Pep Guardiola, whoever he's managing at this given point in time. Yeah, was it the the Xavi model of playing against yes. Guardiola? Yeah, I mean what Xavi said was, you know, if I'm at a small team, by which Xavi means everyone, else, another team, Real Madrid, Liverpool, the rest <laughs> of the teams yeah. in Europe, and play against Barca, what I want to do is take the ball from them. The question is, how do I defend against Barca? Like Paco Jimenez, I press high. If you let them play. Ter Stegen passes to PK, PK drives the ball up to midfield. For me, that's already a predictable death. So he's basically saying, just try and try and mess up what they're doing. Inter- try and interfere with their build-up. Get the ball and force mistakes and score a goal. It's obvious <laughs> enough, isn't it? Like It sounds obvious the way you say it there. It sounds obvious, but I mean, given that the whole... The problem with it is... That if you don't do this really well, like they'll just they'll just totally destroy you. I mean, it's seven nil, because the whole way that they play is designed to. Okay, so you see every time that Ederson has the ball, you see the two central defenders go to the go to a position level with him on on either side of the penalty area, like way back. So they're encouraging. If what they're saying is, if you want to press us, you're going to have to you're going to have to come all the way to the end of the pitch to do it. Which means there's so much space behind you now. I mean, how you know? Are you is your midfield going to press that far up to support you? Unlikely, you know. I mean, in which case you can't really press us. So we'll pass around you, and then we'll, you know, to if if you draw the other team really, really far up the field to to sort of press, it means there's lo- there's that much more space for the team to cover. The same amount of players have to cover that much more space in order for you, you can pass through them much more easily. Well, that's the thinking. So the question is, can you press well enough to actually win the ball 
from them to force these mistakes from the uh, from the Man City players before they have just passed through the sparsely populated pitch that you've left behind you as you tried to press. You know, this is the risk that you're taking, and Liverpool turned out to be able to do it, but maybe a lot of teams couldn't do it. But you go, they also are able to do it because they do it regularly. Mm. They do it very well, but they also do it all the time. It's not something if you decide uh, on the day, right? This is what we're going to do. You know, where like you look again. If you talk about Firmino or something, Firmino does this all the time. Yeah. This is his key role uh, in getting the ball back for Liverpool. So they're suited to it. And you know, the evolution of Klopp's teams is because you know is in this way because of the, of Pep Guardiola. Anyway, like there is this sort of symbiotic relationship between the two and the styles and style of football. So yeah. there is a link there. So he is. They are perfectly suited to it. Clearly, it is. It's the more high risk way, but it's, and you can see that there are certain managers would think it's too much of a risk. I know Alex Ferguson said in his in his autobiography yeah. that he after the two oh nine and oh eleven, he both after both games he kind of found himself wondering maybe we should have uh, we should have just sat back and defended on the edge of our box. Mm. And I remember in two thousand eleven, I remember clearly Ferguson on the touchline after about half an hour, kind of trying to get some energy into the players because. They were in, in a kind of imperfect way. They were trying to attack Barcelona and press them. Mm. And they were, they were dead on their feet. They were exhausted after yeah. half an hour. Mm. So you can't do it necessarily if you just decide on the day, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I mean, I think that Man United, particularly, particularly in the 2011 game, were really up against it in terms of that team was like unbeatable on that day yeah they couldn't they, they just weren't good enough to be, they couldn't beat that team and and that Barcelona team is a lot better than this Man City team you know there was no Otamendi in the Barcelona team or you know even even Stones I mean not that I mean to Stones has been playing very well but you know he's not he's not sort of where PK was at that you know what I mean that's that's the comparison we're talking about here Fernandinho I don't think is quite as good at bus as Busquets at, at just sort of finding the pass that means like Rooney was supposed to chase Busquets in that game I remember mm. and uh, whether because he kind of started forgetting that he was supposed to do that after 15 minutes or he was being to get tired he, he he didn't really stick to the the job and it was kind of but it was a very difficult it, no it was, it's a different no it's a no different no, no task, could do yeah. whereas this Man City team they've still got Otamendi you know it's not they're not quite at that level you know they've been playing really well they have a really good system uh, everything is going really well for them but you know they're not like uh, totally beyond. You, you know you, that that Barcelona team, United couldn't lay a glove on. Nobody could. Whereas this is a, a slightly different situation. If you do it right, I mean, if you play as well as Liverpool did yesterday, then it's then it's possible, I suppose. I mean, the other thing is that the the goals were all ridiculously good. I mean, you know, the Ch Chamberlain scored from twenty five yards when nobody expected him to score. Um, Firmino's chip we've spoken about. Mane's goal was ridiculous. That's his left foot. You know, did he mean to even put it there? I don't know. I mean, it flew straight into the, it. Couldn't have been more perfectly placed. Um, and then and then Salah scores from like forty-five yards. Uh, another brilliant finish. You know, you know what the expected goals total was. Five. They'd scored four. The expected goals total was zero point eight. Oh, for, <laughs> from the from the chances Liverpool had, you would expect them to score. About um, four goals in five matches. Five was not a great guess in <laughs> retrospect. Uh, I'll be hearing about that one, I'm sure, later. The, we had Andrew Mangle from Arsblog in last week, Dion, who reckons this is almost certainly Wenger's last season and that he signed a two-year contract and just as a sort of easy way to avoid a f another full year of is this the end of Arsene Wenger. Looks like I think everyone would be happy enough for it to end at this point. 
But the real news surrounds Alexis Sanchez and which of the Manchester clubs he's going to choose to go to. Do you agree with a lot of people saying it's a betrayal of Manchester City if he chooses to go to Manchester United for more money? No, I not really. I, I think it's, it's interesting that Manchester United have become a, a club now that people can say uh, who the club they can say of you only go there for the money. Yeah. Uh, like that's that's kind of an extraordinary um, statement about where Manchester United are under Mourinho compared to what Guardiola has done at City, and uh, and particularly given Mourinho's recent complaints that he hasn't, that they're in the halfpenny league compared to where yeah, Manchester City well, yeah, are. But with, yeah, with yeah, yeah. but the, yeah, that's kind of yeah, but that's just Mourinho. Like that's kind of uh, that was just noise. But um, I, I, the fact that you can join Manchester United and nobody's saying. Uh, this is you know, this is phenomenal. This is you know this is exactly like this is uh, it was, you know shows how you know, the, the most famous club in in Britain, you know Real Madrid and Manchester United, the most famous clubs in the world, and people are saying, oh, you're only going there for the money. Like, and it's not just Mourinho's fault. It's everything that's happened since Ferguson left. But it's kind of it, it's sort of sad in that regard that uh, um, if he does go there, and I, he probably will go there, and uh, there's good reasons for him to go there. I think he'd probably. Um, Given the way he played at Arsenal, I think he'd probably enjoy himself more. I think it'd be more of a, you know, he'd be able to you know, just do his own thing. But there might be too many demands. I would absolutely, if I, if I was Alexis Sanchez, I would absolutely join Man United ahead be- of Man City. Because he mightn't like the Guardiola coaching style? Um, well, he's pl- he has played for Guardiola already. Yeah. You know, he's, he did a season under Guardiola, uh, which wasn't a great season for anybody, the 2011 12 uh, season of Barcelona, Guardiola's last at Barcelona. Um, but. The fact is, you you see Alexis Sanchez. He's this player who gets angry when he doesn't play, when he's sitting on the bench. He gets pissed off. You know, he's one of these. He wants to pull up his shorts really high and give himself <laughs> a wedgie in frustration when he gets left out of the team. Now, he, at Man United, he played pretty much every game, or he played every game that he that he wanted to play in. He might he might be left out if they had a big game coming up in the Champions League midweek. He might be given a rest. But you know, he would play every game. He'd he'd get paid. Okay. What are the reasons? Number one, Manchester United is a bigger club than Man City by miles. That's still true. Traditionally, you mean? Uh, in, in what way is it bigger now? Well, oh, they've, they've got like 10 times as many supporters. Is that... But does, but does that matter? If you're talking about pros and cons well, it, the, for well, football, you know, that, would it matter that there's 10 times as many he's a, It might he, do. He's a professional footballer. That does matter. It means that you can... It certainly means that you can make more money. I mean, and, and they're paying more money, which is, which is a big thing. So, that, so let's not... Overlook that as a that that is part of it. I'm not saying that's all of it, but that is definitely part of it, and so it should be. You know, I mean, it's not as though he'd be going to Man City if they were offering a ridiculous amount of money. Of he'd be going somewhere else. You know, uh, United have to offer more money than City, really, given the fact that City maybe can. Well, United could win the Champions League. So what are the City other pros? Win the, league. The, the other the the pros basically have to do with Alexis Sanchez and the type of player that he is. Like he's a player who wants to do whatever comes into his head, and Manchester City is the team in world football. Currently, which is least suitable, if if you're that type of player, you want you want to be playing exactly as you're supposed to within the system. This is a total, a totally systematic team, and if you're just kind of going off and improvising, doing your own, doing your own thing, that's not good. Yeah. That's that's you're going to get substituted if you do that, and you're going to be sitting on the bench the next game, and, and he would be sitting on the bench a lot anyway. I think, and. Also, they've got so many good players now. Imagine the City fans looking at this going, why are we even signing Sanchez? I would rather see Sané or Sterling or Aguero or Gabriel Jesus or David Silva or Kevin De Bruyne or whoever's being left out in order to accommodate 
Sanchez. Whereas with at Manchester United, they'd be so grateful, you know, for for him to join at this point. He'd he'd immediately be a hero, especially because he's turning down Man City to join them. Yeah, he, because he's turning down Man City to join them, and he could come out and say, you know, the history, and you know, who could when Manchester biggest club in Manchester, uh, just like like Robin van Persie a couple of years ago. I mean, at that stage. You know, he could still say United are actually the, the better team. The money choice was was City, but but if Sanchez goes to play for Mourinho at Manchester United, he will be not only allowed to do whatever comes into his head in the field, but actively encouraged to do that. It's like that's why we bought you. Go out there and you know do your thing. You've got all the ideas. Yeah, you've yeah. got you've got the ideas. Please <laughs> You're supply the guy with the ideas. So that's that is literally what what the what the approach is from from Mourinho. He's like you're the footballers, you figure out the the attacking side of the game. And I think Sanchez would be suited to that. So there's so many reasons I think why this in his particular case, why United actually makes more sense in addition to the fact that they will pay more money, which is just a bonus. What do you reckon Dion last word which club will he join? United. You think so? Yeah. Dion, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. email in here from Aaron Coughlin to editor at secondcaptains.com could be Colin I don't know if Aaron's from mm. is it just Cork yeah pretty much mainly yeah. Cork they, they pronounce it anyway, Aaron, I'm going to call him Aaron Coughlin I remember listening to a few of the podcasts a few months back when the Premier League dinosaurs got their jobs back in management and we all laughed at how mad it seemed now that Moyes Hodgson Pardew have their teams climbing the table should we be eating humble pie when relegation peers over your shoulder it's something most fans would be happy to accept it seems most fans will be happy to to accept one of the old reliables, albeit for a short short term period. Sorry mm. for garbling the last couple of paragraphs there of your email, Aaron. What do you think, Ken? Docking yeah. your cap now to Moyes, Hodgson, Pardew, and the old boys. Well, Hodgson's been doing very well, hasn't he? I mean, when he took over, things were not looking too good. They have improved a lot. Um, they've improved a lot since then. Moyes is doing okay. Um, Only okay? They look good at the weekend. They did. I mean, Arnautovic and Lanzini uh, playing quite well. So, you know, both Palace and West Ham. I mean, West Ham are 11th and Palace are 12th. Um, five points above the relegation zone. Um, but they look probably as though they're going to be as they're going to be out of it. The ones that have a, a big problem at the moment are Swansea, uh, West Brom. I mean, Pardew, did, they, they did get their first win in a long time um, over the weekend. But they're still only on nineteen points. Yeah, um, Southampton maybe struggling a little bit. Another spectacular Shane Long miss over the weekend. Ah, come on! Did you see the rest of his contributions? Created two goals. Sure, he's a striker, and it's good to score them as well. But his searing pace and athleticism yeah. allowed him to create two goals for. If only he'd managed to teammates. to uh, score that, they might have ended up with two more points. So you're only eating a tiny bit of humble pie, is what you're saying. 
Um, I'm not. If I'm any. not really eating humble pie. I mean, there's so many of these guys in the league now that mostly all they have to do is beat each other. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the, the person I feel sorry for now is the oldest. Well, he's not the oldest actually. Hodgson's the oldest, but uh, Arsene Wenger can't be. It must be the second oldest, and certainly the longest serving. And you know, lost to Bournemouth, and this is like this is it. It's over. I mean. Uh, the Arsenal have completely detached now from the top four. They're, they're eight points behind the teams who, who are in the top four now. They're, and Tottenham are between Arsenal and those teams. And there's no way that they're coming back from it here. Jordan Ibe is Jordan Ibe scored his first goal for Bournemouth. I mean, this is a player, not a, not a regular goal threat. Uh, hammered a stake through the heart of Arsenal. And... Uh, now Sanchez probably going to Manchester United. Ozil probably going to Manchester United. By the way, how how excited would our most Manchester United fans going to be about the prospect of the Ozil Sanchez strike force that they'll probably start next season with? Is that good? I mean, you're talking about Arsenal's defective, non-performing strike partnership. They'll perform again when they're motivated. You so you would be you you think yeah you think Sanchez and Ozil? I think it's a, it's a it's a bit strange. I mean, could they not try something that hasn't hasn't been tried before for several seasons without ever threatening to really rip up the the league? Zidane Zidane suffered another setback at the weekend, as did his Real Madrid team. Lost one 0 at home to Villarreal. Sid Lowe is going to talk to us about what exactly has gone wrong. Sid, six months ago, they looked like they were poised to be they're on the brink of total domination. Well, um, to start with, it's good that you've asked me that and not Zinedine Zidane, because Zidane is, uh, he said the other day that he was tired of being asked the same questions over and over again. And one of the reasons why he's asked the same questions is because he doesn't actually give any answers. And he said again at the weekend that, you know, there's nothing really wrong with what Round is doing. The ball just doesn't want to go in. And, and up to a point, you know, you can have some sympathy for that argument. You look at the statistics this year, how many chances they've had. You look at how many um, shots Cristiano Ronaldo's had, for example, and Real Madrid as a whole. I mean, it's, it's well over 300, 347, I think it is. It's taken them 12 shots for every goal that they score. Um, and, and it's true that they're, they're missing a lot of chances. And on, on the face of it, at least, you can say, well, this is just an unlucky team. And Tony Cruz, for example, at the weekend, uh, he put out a tweet after the game. He said, anyone who says we play badly doesn't know anything about football. Well, up to a point, that's true. But, of course, when it becomes a recurring theme, over and over again, Madrid aren't winning games. If it's a one-off, yeah, fine. You can you can look at luck. And obviously, if you look at luck, I think you've, you've got to take it both ways, which is if luck is part of your explanation when things are going wrong, luck also has to be part of your explanation when things are going right. Um, and, and I think it's a, I think it's, it almost lets them off too easily to talk about this as being inexplicable, to be something that can't be explained. And, and I, I think it's worth kind of stressing at times that just because it's not being explained by anyone, it doesn't mean it can't be explained or it doesn't mean that there aren't some elements to it. And, and also there's a temptation as well, I think, to say that you know, when you're missing chances, it doesn't just mean that you're bad, you're being unlucky. It's I mean, you're not finishing well enough. And Cristiano Ronaldo is having a, a, a very, very poor season. They, you know, their top scorer is on four goals this season. Ronaldo, Bale and Asensio have all got four goals this season. And you look at the league, um, the, the, the list of the top scorers in La Liga, that means there's 26 different players in La Liga who've got more goals than Real Madrid's top scorer. And, and, and that's fundamentally their problem. I also think, though, that certainly if you look at Saturdays, it's become a little bit mundane what Madrid are doing, a little bit basic, a little bit rudimentary. So basically, it's get the ball wide, swing the ball into the box, try and score from a header or try and score from the ball falling. And it, it's, it's perhaps a little bit over basic, although, as I say, you know, it is true that this weekend they missed a lot of chances again and, and clearly could have won the game. See, 
it's it's kind of weird that this has happened, I think, because the football that they were playing um, sort of in the, the closing stages of last season or on their way to winning the Champions League uh, or retaining the Champions League, which nobody had done before, was, I thought, the best that I'd seen them play. It was like they'd really kind of, they'd gone to a higher level. You know, it wasn't just a, a bunch of expensive and very talented players, you know, doing what comes naturally. It, it seemed as though they'd actually evolved into... A kind of a better team than that. So how, I mean, how does that sort of just suddenly desert them so quickly after after they reach the peak? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, and one of the things that was so striking about Real Madrid last year, and we talked about this, you know, a lot of times over the course of the season, because of course when you go game by game in terms of the analyses, sometimes you don't see the bigger picture, and and and, and yet when the thing is, you know, when the analysis is is repeated, there's something there. And and we said for the immense majority of last year, up until probably February March at least. Madrid are not that great, but they've got great players. They're scoring a lot of goals. There's this word that gets used a lot in Spain, pegada, the ability to deliver a knockout blow. And we always said that Madrid were this team that even when they played badly, they had pegada. They had the ability to score a goal out of nothing, whether it's from a corner or a free kick or the ball drops and Ronaldo scores. Um, And this year, it's the complete opposite. But as you say, I think it's right that last year, towards the the end, they'd evolved into something more than just a team where very good players were scoring goals. They'd become a team that were actually playing very well, that, that everything kind of fell into place together at the right time I thought we saw, we saw the shift and you know I don't enjoy saying this but I think we saw the shift to a more controlled based game and a better game and, and I think a, a, just fundamentally a better team with Gareth Bale's injury with the introduction into the team of Visco with him getting continuity and confidence and I think we started to see a team that, that kept the ball better that controlled games better that was still creating chances but creating different types of chances and it wasn't just the ball going wide put into the box it wasn't from corners and set plays it wasn't you know a, a moment's brilliance from someone it, it felt like a like a mechanism it felt like it was happening how that falls apart i guess there's lots of ways of looking at it. one of course is is to take it and look at it from an individual point of view ronaldo's form has slumped and benzema hasn't been fit bale hasn't been fit although as i say you know, they improved last year with, with, with Isco coming into the team for him. Maybe there's been a sense, I think, of a, of a kind of emotional disengaging, certainly with the league, having won it, and, and, you know, kind of focus becomes the Champions League again. I think you can look at players and say they don't look entirely fit. I think you can say that the, the strength in depth has been lost with the departure of Morata and James and Pepe, and that maybe that has an impact beyond just the case of, you know, have we got someone who can go on and score goals? Because this weekend, for example, they put Asensio on, they put Lucas Vasquez on, they've got players in reserve. But I just wonder if that sense of the kind of competition for places has, has gone a little bit and it's become a little bit um, repetitive, Zidane's formation, Zidane's team lineup, and so on. Um, and, and maybe some of those flaws that were there last year, but that by the end had kind of, if you like, slipped away, have come back to the fore again. Yeah. I mean, I, I do wonder also if... The fact that they made such a <clears throat> they made a poor start in the league, and suddenly Barcelona were ahead of them, and mm. it's as though they kind of have felt as though that league, the title race, has almost been over before it even yeah, started. Absolutely. And like, and and, yeah, and so maybe um, maybe the Champions yeah, League could 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 um, get them back into the into the sort of mood. Okay, here's a competition that we that we know we can still win, so that you might see more motivated Madrid. But I just wondered, Sid, yeah, yeah, I'm, I assume you would have seen this uh, the epic interview given by uh, the sage of Doha, uh, Xavi, to Diego Torres last week, in which he, in which he talked about, um, you know, his, his f- football philosophies and so on. And he said a number of disparaging things about Real Madrid. Um, yes. <laughs> he said, but he said at one point, uh, it, I just wondered how accurate you think this is from Xavi, uh, at the Bernabeu, the demand is to give your all. 
They can't stand lazy players. Their reference is the spirit of Juanito. The culture of Madrid is the spirit of Juanito or Camacho. And, and he's sort of saying, you know, at Barcelona, it's Cruyff. It's, it's something a bit more cerebral. Whereas at Madrid, it's kind of like, oh, where's your heart? Where's your balls? Is this, it, does this chime with your experience of Real Madrid? But the, the, broadly speaking, yes. But I, think, I, I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as that. There is, there is very definitely with Madrid. And it's curious when you consider Madrid and you, and you think about them, you know, this is the richest, biggest club in the world. But there is this kind of discourse of sacrifice. There is this discourse of, of, of right to the end, of keep on going, of fighting, of, of spirit, of, of overcoming the odds, which, as I say, is ridiculous to talk about overcoming the odds when you are you know, the biggest club in the world and when, you, when you're the richest club in the world as well, although perhaps they're not anymore. I'm not sure about that. Um, uh, but there, there is definitely something in that. And, you know, you see the, the fondness that there was for, for Raul, who was obviously a, a brilliant player, but technically not a great player, a player that was, that was about spirit and intelligence and, and, and movement and aggression on the pitch. The other players, like Juanito, the, the guy that, that, that Xavi names. But I don't think that's quite true in the sense that there is also uh, kind of part of the, the environment around Madrid, and particularly from, from, from some elements of the media, and particularly in... in, in in fact, since Spain won the World Cup, that demands some style with it as well. I Madrid mean, have always demanded some style as well. You know, this is the club, and I know that you know there's all sorts of there's more depth to these stories than they see. But I mean, let's throw the headlines out there. This is the club that sacked Capello, having won the league twice. That sacked Henkes, having won the Champions League. You know, so there is something more than just winning. Admittedly, as I say, there's more depth to it. Henkes had to go. I mean, it was a disaster, and yet they won the European Cup. Capello had to go. Certainly, the second time, maybe not the first time. So, so I think there is more to it than that. But I think Chavi's right up to a point in that the idea of what they embrace is, is slightly different and, and that Madrid's is a little bit more about win, 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 win and do it by, by giving everything. But I, I, think, I think it's not quite true to suggest it's only about that. I think there is a desire for style. And more than anything else, I think more than a desire for style, I'd say there's a desire, there is a desire for superiority which I don't think Xavi properly um, embraces that. It's true that they love the epic comeback, and that, up to a point, expresses the idea that you're not always better because you've got to be trailing to have an epic comeback. It's true that they love the idea of spirit and fight and overcoming the odds. But I think there's also Madrid are satisfied when they are clearly better than everyone else. Sid, you're going to be back in Dublin tomorrow night, I believe. Would you like to yeah. Uh, yeah. Give, a, give yourself a free plug there? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, yeah we, 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 um, the Spanish football podcast with me, me, Phil, and, uh, and Alex. We're going to do the, 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 the grand finale of our 21st century legends where we're going back over the players who played for Spain um, this century, which is handy for me because that coincides almost exactly with the amount of time I've been in Spain, which makes me feel very old when we start talking about players from 2001, 2002. I think, oh, I, I saw him. Yeah, I watched him. I spoke to him. Uh, and the other the great thing about it is we've also got the Shelburne team that played Barcelona from from '63. They'll they'll be with us, and also the 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 first the first viewing of the trailer of the Patrick O'Connell documentary. So it should be a lot of fun. Nice, that's all on the Sugar Club, I believe. Listen, Sid, best of luck with that. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you. Cheers. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. 
Sid mentioned the wayward finishing of the Real Madrid players again. Ronaldo in particular has been not exactly shooting the lights out. Oh, he's been shooting the lights out. Or I mean, he's, I mean, particularly the lights. Uh, seven shots a game. He doesn't, I mean, that, that, that number just keeps going As long as the lights up. aren't in the net, then the lights are in severe danger of getting blown out. Yeah, I mean, it's he, he's, he's had about 100 shots in the league now, and he's scored four goals. That's not good. Four goals from 100 shots. Yeah. Oh, jeez. That's, that's, that's not great. Like, I mean, you know, you'd want to be... You'd want to be scoring at least 15 goals from your 100 shots to be to be having a good season, you know, if you're Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, that that would be quite that would be a, a pretty respectable percentage to be putting them putting away. I mean, maybe he's shooting from bad positions. Maybe he's just shooting badly. But one way or the other, he's shooting plenty. Like nobody shoots more than this, you know, nobody. But um, they've stopped going in. Although if you look at the Champions League, he scored nine goals in six matches. Like he's the top scorer in the Champions League, but he's only got four goals in the league. So. I don't see how that makes any sense. I do think that, I mean, Real Madrid have to play Paris Saint-Germain, so that's the kind of, if they can't get motivated for that game, then it really is time to to start, to tear it up and start again, you know? He'll probably turn it on the Champions League, as always. Listen, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Thank, Thank you, Kieran. Ken. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We will chat to you during the week. The second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those.